0: As we come back into Corinthians, I want you to think about it in terms of this church is divided. This one church, again, keep in mind, you guys, at this point in church history, you could count probably all the churches, maybe on one hand or two hands, of all the churches that exist. And the Apostle Paul had planted this church, he had been with them for a year and a half, so he knows them personally. They know his example, they saw how he lived, they heard what he taught. They saw how he treated people. And I think as we close out this first four chapters, remember, he's dealing with division. That's what he's been dealing with. And I, I want you to think about it in these terms. You're like, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, think about this. Think about your own family. Is there division in your family? What causes that division, right? What causes it? I would say it's probably the same thing we find here in Corinthians, pride. We have our eyes on the wrong thing, right? We're not walking in the spirit. We're walking in the flesh, and, and Paul's trying to, as Paul corrects them and guides them, what he's, des- what he's desiring them to do is say, stop acting like the world, stop being in the flesh, stop valuing the things of the world, and get your eyes back on Jesus, let his mind be in you, and the path is what? Humility. We're going to see that really today. Because as we look at chapter four, I know I took a big chunk here, but what I want us to see is really like six qualities that we find number 1 in Christian leadership but also it should be in our lives six qualities and i entail this message serving the kingdom and the qualities of a leader and i want you guys to understand this if you have children if you have nieces and nephews if you have grandchildren if you have someone you're mentoring you're a leader i don't pass the buck well i'm not a leader you know i'm just you're what just a mother you're not influencing anybody Oh, I'm just a, a grandparent. Really? You're just a grandparent? No. We influence those that are around us and they imitate us. They imitate us whether we like it or not. I don't know if you ever noticed this in Calvary Chapels, especially that first generation of pastors. When they taught, who would they, they imitate? Who are they acting like? There's hand motions, how they pronounce their words, how they, I mean, there's sometimes I'd be on K-Wave and I'm like, is this Chuck or somebody else? Right? Why? Because they're imitating Chuck. He was their example. Well, we are the example to so many around us, so I don't want you to pass the buck. I don't want you to think, well, that's just for the pastor. That's just for the leaders of the church. No, it's for each one of us, because people are watching. They're watching. So as we look at this, I want you to keep this in mind, too. As Paul deals with these divisions, he wants them to understand, again, the wisdom of God as revealed in Christ. That's what we looked at first. He wants them to understand, too, to grow up in their faith, and that means we walk in the Spirit. To grow up in our faith is not to gain knowledge, to not dump down knowledge, but to grow in our faith is to mature, to be coming more and more like Christ in our mindset, in our direction, right, and in our values. I would probably put values as number one, like what do we truly value, And if we value Christ, then we will go after Christ. And the last week, what we saw, we are temples of the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit dwells within us. And it's not in Jerusalem. It's not in a church. It's not in Rome, in St. Peter's Cathedral. It's not in the Sophia out over there. Well, it's not anymore because it's a Muslim mosque now. But back a thousand years ago in Constantinople, the great temple there to God. No, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We make up the church of God. And so as he closes out now again, we're looking at the qualities. He, Paul puts down a roadmap for us of the qualities we should seek to imitate. We should seek to imitate. And you know, like I've said to you guys before, I'm always with my sisters, and they're always, oh, you're so much like dad. Oh, the way you act is so much like dad. Oh, the way you hold your hands is so much like dad. They always say that to me. I'm like, well, yes, he is my father. And I, I don't know about you guys, as a young guy. I, I worshipped my father. I, I loved him. I mean, I wanted to be just like him in so many ways. But now, as a Christian, no matter how old we are or how young we are in the Lord, we should seek to imitate Christ. And I would encourage you this way: as you work your way through the Bible, which you will do, I hope, start in Genesis at the beginning of the year. You work your way through. I would say this to you: here be my challenge. Every day, you lead, at least read one chapter of the Gospel. As you work your way through the Bible, always stay in the gospel, because I always want you to keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep, keep him coming back to mind. Keep him, again, as you read the scripture and then you read the Old Testament, find Jesus in the Old Testament, but we keep our eyes on him, and I would encourage you to do that. That's, that was a lot of practices of the early church fathers. They always, they always were in the gospels. So as Paul, again, deals with these problems, he speaks to the Christian believers about, their own, about his own sense of ministry before the Lord. And I want you to see that. Paul always sees himself not before the church, but before the Lord. That's the one he wants to please. That's the one that he wants to say, he wants to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and he does this in short, because as you look at this chapter, as we read between the lines, again, he's given us these qualities about himself and about his co-workers, Apollos and Peter and James, all of them. There's certain qualities they all had, and he wants them to imitate us. And keep this in mind, the world doesn't like these qualities. The world does not value these qualities. They don't admire these qualities. They seem like weakness to them. They seem like foolishness to them. They seem like, why would you want to be that? Why would you want to do that? So understand, because I believe this, you guys. No matter what what we look at on TV or what periodicals we read or what sport teams we like, we're being influenced, aren't we? Whether we want to admit it or not. And if we're watching a talk show, if we're watching, you know, um, certain news stations and editorials and all this stuff, we're being influenced to value in a certain way and to think in a certain way. And we got a lot, let them influence us more than Christ. We compare what we listen to to Christ and to the gospels. So please don't forget that. But let's go ahead and start in verses one and two. It says, This is how one should regard us. Who? Him and Apollos. That's what he's talking about. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery. And so, first and foremost, he begins by saying this, that he is a servant. And when he uses this word, I want you to see it. He's talking about a galley slave. Remember in Ben Hur when he's chained to the oar and he's they're just below the deck and they go down with the ship and the ship's victory is their life, the ship's defeat is their death. That's how he's using this word. He's like saying, "Man, I'm just part of the team. I'm just one in the boat, but the master is Jesus Christ." And I want you to see: as we look at leadership, do you see it in terms of servanthood? Do you see it in that way? Because first and foremost, Paul is saying, if you want to see a leader, I'm going to show you a leader. He's going to be a servant. He's going to put other people ahead of himself. He's going to seek reconciliation. He's going to seek peace. He's going to put his wife above himself. He's going to put his children above himself. Because here's the thing I want you to see you could be a servant at church all you want, and it's a good thing. You could help us pick up, you can help us set up chairs. Those are all good things. But know what's more invaluable? That you're a servant with your family. That you're a servant with those you're around all the time. It's good, you, it's good you serve here at the church, but make sure it's just what you're doing at home. How you treat people at home. How you treat people in the workplace. Right? Being a servant. So this is number one. Serving the king and his message. That's what Paul says. So number one, our qualities in leadership is one, servanthood. Number two, what is it? Remember what Jesus said. Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know, he's talking to his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the great ones exercised authority over them. But notice what he says next. But not so among you. Not so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Paul is saying this, if you truly value the kingdom of Jesus Christ, then you won't be going about seeking to build your own kingdom. You will value becoming a servant in Christ's kingdom. I want you to see that. Because I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of ministries out there. They're building upon sand because they're building upon a man or a woman. They are. They are. It's sand. You know why I know it's sand? Because when that person dies, those ministries fall apart. Have you noticed that? And the ones that are built upon Jesus Christ, Spurgeon, we're still talking about this guy. You know when he was a pastor? A hundred years ago. hundred and fifty years ago. Think about it. And we're still quoting him, man. We, he gets, I bet he gets quoted more than anybody else outside of Jesus Christ, I hope, in, in the church. Around the world, Spurge, why? Because he built on Jesus Christ. I think it shows. It's not shown in your lifetime. It's going to be shown when you depart. What was it built on? What was it built on? And I hope it's because we serve the kingdom. And I want you to see something. Remember what Paul says. He goes, we are the co-workers, co-workers. So he's talking about himself and Apollos and Peter, but he's talking about all the apostles, right? And notice how the other apostles describe themselves in their letters. Because how do they see themselves in this kingdom? Look what they say, James, in his letter. James, for an example, uh, in his letter, he calls himself James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, James 1.1. Uh, Peter introduced himself in his second letter as Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, Jude began his letter by calling himself Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. So I want you to see something. This attitude and this identity that Paul is taking on himself, all the apostles had it. Do you see that? That's how they saw themselves. They saw themselves as servants of Jesus Christ. And again, Paul could say, I established all these churches. I baptized all these people. I led so many to the Lord. But he doesn't. He's like, I'm just serving Jesus, man. And that's all I'm doing. And that's what he's totally about. But it wasn't just Paul. It was Peter. It was John. It was Luke. That's how they saw themselves. And guys, I want us to see ourselves this way, because if we do, we're seeing ourselves the way Christ wants us to. And I want you to think about in these terms, who has impacted you in your life? For me, it was Mr. Betancourt, my little league coach. He coached me from like seven to eight, and then from 10 to 12 years old. He was my coach. The guy was a servant, man. He never yelled at us. He was never like making us become great baseball players. He wanted us to be the best player we can be. And he was the most encouraging guy. I remember because I I was really small as a kid, he would get on his knee and he would look at me, Armando, I know you're down, but come on, come on, you're going to get up there now. I know you struck out 12 times in a row, but you know what? That next one, it's all yours. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, it's all mine, right? I remember it was so weird. I, I was thinking about him one day and I bumped into his son, Michael. I hadn't seen Michael in probably 20 some years. I said, How's your dad? He goes, Oh, I'm sorry, man. He passed away. I said, I was just thinking about him the other day. He was the best coach I ever had. And he started crying. He goes, Man, thank you for remembering my dad that way. How do I had to remember him as a servant? He didn't care about winning. But we did a lot of that with him. He cared about us. He cared about us. And I want you, and that's what, do you see how Paul says that to every church he writes to? I weep for you. I pray for you. I fight for you. I'm suffering for you guys because I love you, man. Let's go. Come on. Follow me. And that's what he's saying here. So the first quality is servanthood. The second one is this. A faithful steward. Faithful steward. He knows what was entrusted to him and he disperses it as a faithful steward. He takes of what is God's. He knows it's not his. If you have a gift that God's given you and you take glory for it, really? Really? Okay. I'm just so wise. Oh, I know the Bible. Really? Like, you're going to. Paul says, I'm just a steward of what God has given me. It's like, you know, you see those spoiled rich kids and they act like the money's theirs. But if dad took away the credit card, what would they be? Just like every other high school kid, right? And then you have some kids that are wise and they're humble with it and they bless others with it because they know it's not my, my, this is my dad's wealth. He's the one who blessed me with it. And Paul understands that. Paul knows what's required of a good servant, servant, steward, and what is required? To be faithful. To be faithful to what God has given you. We've gone through that before. Again, a servant at this time period, a servant is one whom the master has entrusted the oversight of his house. And so Paul is being faithful with what God has given him, and he's given him the mysteries, mysteries of what? The gospel. That the Gentiles would be saved. That God saved the world through Jesus Christ. These are the mysteries that God has given to Paul. And Paul has been faithful to what? To disperse, to give. Apollos has been faithful to use his gift. He said Paul and his co-workers are stewards of God's mystery. As God's instruments, they proclaim the gospel. They strengthen believers in their faith. And through the working of the Holy Spirit, they build the church. So many of us, because of our insecurity, we want to build our own following right? We want, to make, we want people to know how, how good we are because of our insecurities and our fears of being rejected. We want people to see us in a certain light, and you can act that way all you want. You can be a great actor, but Paul's not fooling himself. First of all, he's a, he's a, he's a servant. Second of all, he's a steward, but he's a faithful steward because you could be a bad one too, can't you? You see that in the, in the Gospels. This guy was a lazy servant, and the king, and this king's going, hey, I need to see you, you're gonna give account, And this guy's like, oh no, he's gonna fire me. So remember what he does? He starts saying, okay, how much do you owe? Okay, write down half. How much do you owe? Okay, just write down uh, three, four, what do you owe? And he's like, so this way I'll have some place to go. And the master goes, good for you, you took care of yourself. Yeah, you're still fired, right? Because he's unfaithful. He's being unfaithful with it. And I'm, I'm gonna show you something. So the next, the next thing shows us what our biggest threat is. If we seek to please men, we're not being a good steward. Look what he says next. Verse 3, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I am not, for I am not, un, I'm not aware of anything against myself, and I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his accommodation before the Lord. So what's Paul saying here? What, he's saying this, man, you don't judge me. You don't judge me. I'm not seeking your approval. I'm not trying to make you guys like me. I'm not trying to be something that you want me to be because someday I have to stand before God. That's what he's saying. You could judge me all you want because what were they doing? They already showed themselves to be poor judges. How? Because they were looking at the culture they were raised in and the values that they had and they were saying, Paul, you don't measure up. You're not good in your logic. You're not good in your presentation. You're not as articulate as Apollos. You're not as good looking as Peter. You're not as strong as this person. The things that they valued were carnal. So Paul's going, you can't judge me. You don't even have right judgment. But I'll tell you something right now. All the secret things, all our motivations are all going to stand what? Before the Lord in the light. They're going to stand. That's what he's telling them. And he goes, so you better check your motivation. Because I'll tell you what, I know in my own heart, I got got nothing to be ashamed of. Paul's saying that. Think about it. Because he knows, he's looking at God going, I got to stand before you, so I want to be pleasing to you. I want to be pleasing to you, Lord. And so I don't care what you guys think. I always tell people this, and I'll be honest with you, this is why. I knew a lot of, I've, known, I've met a lot of pastors of massive churches. And I'm going to be honest with you, I've walked away very unimpressed. You know why? Because how they talk to their wives, that's why. How, how they treated their kids. And I'm like, I used to want to be like you. But now that I've gotten to know you, no thanks. Just, they're just men just like me. This, they have Jesus, that's what makes them, God uses them, that's what makes them good. And I always tell people, I don't care what you think of me, because my wife thinks I'm a jerk, Then so who cares what you guys think, right? If my kids hate me, and you guys all love me, so am I being real? No, I want my wife to say, yeah, yeah, Armando's a believer at home, that's, that's what I want. I could fake you guys out all day. My dad was a top salesman for three years. It's in me. I do it for fun. Seriously. If I want to just like snow people, I used to do stuff at trade shows with my father-in-law. He's like, I never saw that side of you before. I'm like, yeah, I don't like bringing it out. But here, I'm helping you out. Why not? Because I never had so much business. I'm like, yeah, it's just fun messing with people. I'm like, Hey, buddy, how you doing? Hey, come buy our product. What? Okay. I'm like, why? I don't know. Right? But here's the thing. I can't snow my wife. And I can't snow my kids. I can't. Because the mass is going to come off sooner or later, isn't it? And Paul's saying, it's going to come off, and I'm going to tell you right now. Because what was their motivation for the Corinthian church? They wanted to look wise in the world, and they wanted to seem like they were cultured. Did you hear what I said? They wanted the world to look at them and say, "Man, those Christians are so wise. Oh man, those Christians are so cultured, they're oh man. They wanted that, they were imitating the wrong things. They're emulating the wrong things. Paul's going, No, we're going to see in a second here. I'm like, I'm a fool for Christ. And that's how the world looked at him as a fool. But again, it's because they're valuing the wrong things. But what mattered to Paul was how God evaluated him because he would stand before the throne. Look what Jesus says in John 12 Nevertheless, even many, even among the authorities, believed in him. But notice the next thing. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. The New King James translate that they enjoyed the applause of men more than they enjoy the applause of God. That's why they they were like, Yeah, this I think this guy's the Messiah. Think about this. They're looking at Jesus going, I think this guy is the Messiah, but because I feared the Pharisees more than I believe in him, I'm not saying nothing. Wow. And again, if we're being motivated to have people respect us and like us and look up to us for the wrong reasons, then we're seeking their applause, not the approval of God. And if we're going to be used of God in this world, especially in this cancel culture right? We live in this world of cancel culture. You better not say the wrong thing. You better not be in the wrong place. You better not. I mean, it's terrible, isn't it? Do you see that there's a line being drawn in the sand? And sooner or later, we're going to have to say, here I stand, no matter what the cost. Just like Christians throughout, Christians today in China and in Iran and in Afghanistan, and in India, that they count the cost every day? Saying, I seek the applause of heaven. When I walk through those gates, I want Jesus to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But if you want the approval of this world, and we want the applause of men, then we're not going to hear that, are we? Come on, we already got what we were looking for. Be wise, be loving, be gentle, be merciful, be compassionate. But always stand for the truth. Always. And that's what Paul is saying. You can't judge me. Because I'll stand before the Lord. Look what he says next. And this is what I want you to see. next thing about a servant, a servant is a spectacle to the world. He's a spectacle. Look what he says. Verses 6 through 13. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up, in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Paul's being very sarcastic here. I want you to hear that. Without us, you have become kings. And what uh, what would that uh, you did We hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. What's he saying to them? You've kept your position. You've suffered nothing. Because you're still living in the world, because you're still carnal. But I want you to see something. He's like, Paulus and myself, what are we? We're a spectacle. I really want you guys to understand this. I mean, in our culture, because we come from a Judeo-Christian background, and whether, whether even though it's being eroded in our country for probably the last 30, 40 years, I want you to see something. When, you, when the church is in a hostile environment, a truly hostile environment, okay? where the church is outlawed. That's what I'm talking about. A hostile environment where there are no churches. That's a hostile environment where maybe it costs your life. That's a hostile environment. It's when they confiscate your property and they take away your freedom. That's That's what I'm talking about. But in those countries, to become a Christian comes as great cost where they look at you as what? The scum of the world as what? Refuse of all things. But I want you to see how Paul acts. He's like, Hey, man, look at us. We're poorly dressed. Look at us. We're fools. Angels look at us, and they have pity on us. Men make fun of us. They spit upon us. They mistreat us. Why? Because he's not above his master, that's why. Do you see who he's like? I want you to understand this. When you look at what Paul's talking about here, aren't these the things that Jesus taught in the Gospels? A servant is not greater than his master. If they mistreated me, they're going to mistreat you. And Paul's telling the Corinthian church, you've never been mistreated because you still live in the world. You still don't have all that you should have because you still value the things of the world. Look at us. This is how you should be living. This is what it is to count the cost. And remember we learned in Hebrews last year. Many of the Christians at the time of the Hebrews They what? Were in jail and their property had been confiscated. Do you remember that? They counted the cost. So it wasn't just the apostles, it was believers as a whole, as a community, were persecuted. And Paul says to this, present hour, we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed, we are buffeted, we are homeless. Do you guys remember in the book of Acts? Was the church part of the culture? Or did the church stand outside the culture? Which was it? What do you think? Was Paul someone to be, was he a patriot? Was he a hero to the world? No. He was a criminal. Do you remember that? I want you to see this. I think we forget it. We act like Paul was just like, Caesar's like, our greatest citizen. Paul, come forward. Get your medal. Get your, you know, Caesar medal. No. They beheaded him. He was a criminal. And Paul says, yeah, for Christ. Christ. And that's how the church is treated in China. As what? Criminals. North Korea. Criminals. Don't forget. It's still going on today. But Paul says, I look what he says. Look what he says next. He says, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world. But who is he acting like there? Remember this, remember the oral tradition? as Paul's being led to his execution, he leads the soldier to the Lord. Where they were cursing him, he's blessing, and it stands out. They said of the early Christian church, they died well. They weren't grasping, they weren't begging for their lives. they were worshiping God, knowing they were going to be with him. Why do they have this? Because that was Christ's example. From where? From the cross? Father, forgive them. Today you'll be in paradise with me. Hey, John, take care of my mom. He's like doing a checklist at La Crosse. I gotta make sure I'm taking care. Why? Because he loves us that much. And the church acted like that. The church, the believer, followed his example. They followed the example of Paul. Read the church fathers. They all were, they all were martyred, all of them. I, I laugh. I, I, I read these things. I get choked up and I laugh going, these guys were tough, man. And to the world, they're like, let's put them on display. They would, they would like parade them through talents going, this is what's going to happen to you Christians if you keep on acting like the way you do. And he's like, hey, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to Rome. Hey, don't worry about my body. I'm praying that the animals eat all of me so you don't have to worry about funeral expenses. That's how the church fathers acted. So do you see how they were examples in suffering? Because Christ is their example in suffering. In the Corinthian church, they were valuing what? They were saying, I want you to be like that great speaker. I want you to be like that great leader. Great in what? The world's eyes. You know, I was listening to an interview with uh, U2, the lead singer, Bono. And they're talking about his faith on, on NPR, National Public Radio. And this interviewer kept bringing up his faith. And Bono goes, you know, I like a good argument. One of my best friends is an atheist. And his atheist friend said this to him. Bono, if what you say is true about this baby born in Bethlehem, born in manure. He didn't say it that way. This force of love that you say is in this universe and the God that you believe in, if that's how God displays himself, being born in a manger, born surrounded by, by animal excrement, if that's how he displays himself, the atheist said this, that is the most brilliant thing I could ever understand about that God. He gets it. He gets it. The atheist gets the ranger. They understand like, wow, what great lengths your God would go through. They see the wisdom of it. But the world doesn't, you guys. They don't. They don't see the value of you being a servant. They don't see the value of you turning the cheek. They don't see the value of you saying, uh, as they cuss you out, they just say, hey, I'm praying for you, brother. They don't see the value of it. They think you're crazy. And we are. A little bit. Right? But I think they're crazier because of what they believe. We came out of nothing? Really? The impersonal created the personal? Really? You believe that. Really? Do you know mathematically that's impossible? Do you still believe in science? Because your own science says it can't it's impossible. So come on, man, who's the more crazier one? Me or you? But we show them by how we live. They're displayed, they are a public spectacle. They're there for everybody to see. It's like he's on, he's on the stage of a theater. That's what he's saying. And he's being abused. They are viewed as mere criminals, as men condemned to death. One man said they were, as men condemned to death, made a spectacle to the world, invoking the sympathy of angels and the laughter of men. Jesus said in Matthew 10, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called me the master of the house of Beelzebub, how much more will they ally those of his household? He's already saying what it's going to be like. But notice this, you guys, how we act, what we value, how we treat others. In the midst of that persecution, we either become a roadblock to people or we are trailblazers for people a servant and a leader of the church is a, pl- is a pathfinder and a trailblazer for the others to follow. Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Look what he says next. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. So Paul, we all know this, Timothy is Paul's beloved son of the Lord. Timothy was with Paul for many years, watching his routine, watching his habits, watching what he did, and he's going, okay, I'm sending Timothy to you to remind you of my ways. Paul had no shame. Like, yeah, tell him how I lived. Tell him how I prayed. Tell him how I spent my time. Go ahead be honest with yourself would you want someone that you have someone like that in your life that you can say yeah he'll show you my ways in the Lord be honest I'll be like "Eh, sometimes yeah sometimes but Paul's like yeah I'm going to send Timothy to you because he's going to show you he's going to remind you of my ways imitate me imitate me in forgiveness imitate me in service imitate me in how I pray Imitate me in how I love my enemies. Imitate me in how I lay down my life. Imitate me. Isn't that powerful? Trailblazer, man. <laughs> my daughter and I were talking. She's, she's so much like me. I always tell her she's a female version of me. She goes, Dad, you know, I've always watched you in life. and For big problems, you're really chill. You're like, ah, oh, no big deal. Like, oh, we'll get through it. Don't worry, you'll do better next time. Because you're really chill. But if, if for some reason we throw away your strawberry jelly by accident, you flip out. And I'm like, yep, it still gets me mad, even the thought of it. So I'm like, hey, where's my jelly? Mary's like, I cleaned the I cleaned the refrigerator at. I didn't think anybody ate it. I'm like, I eat it. Why would you do that? Ah, you know? My jelly, my jelly. I can't believe that. She's like, yeah, but, you know, someone's dying or something terrible happens. You're like, hey, it's going to be okay, but God forbid we take your jelly, right? And I'm like, and I was like, I started laughing. I'm like, yes, Mary, you nailed me. You nailed me. But I want you to see something. Paul's, Paul says, be an imitator of me and my dedication to Christ. Be an imitator of me and, and how I suffer. Being an imitator of me is how I found my identity in Jesus be an imitator of me as I seek to attain to the mind of Christ. Be an imitator of me as I seek to glorify God in all I do. Imitate me. Seek to imitate me. Because here's the thing, you guys. When we follow that path with Christ, as we give our lives to prayer and to his word, it does change us. It takes time. Don't condemn yourself. Oh, I'm not there yet. Yeah, but I'm just saying, let's keep going. Don't settle. Find the grace. Find it. And then let it, as Paul would say, the grace of God in me motivates me now. Not guilt, not shame, not trying to please men, but pleasing the Lord, right? That should be our motivation because here's the last thing he says. A servant speaks and acts in the love and the authority of Christ. He says, some of you are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon. If the Lord wills, and I'll find out because people were trashing Paul. In in Corinth, Corinthians or Corinth, they're trashing him, and Paul's going, "I'm coming, and I'm going to see those guys, and they still want to say what they're saying to my face, right?" Wasn't Mike Tyson who said, "In this world today of Instagram and people can insult you," he goes, "Yeah, back when I was a kid, you insulted somebody, you got punched in the face. You're going to think twice before you insult somebody." Paul's going, "Yeah, I'm coming again." Paul, Paul's four ten. So he's not this huge man, but he knows something. He knows that God's called him to be an apostle. He knows that he's a steward of the mysteries, and he knows that God's spirit is in him. He knows this. And as an apostle, he's coming to set the church right. He's going to correct the church. But notice this. I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I'll find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but in their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, But in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in the spirit of gentleness? Paul had learned the great lesson that the Lord Jesus had taught that Paul could accomplish nothing in his own power, but only through a moment by moment, step by step, reliance upon the power of Christ in himself. Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. See, Paul's abiding in Christ, so as he comes into a situation, he knows power, authority. Other times, he would say this to the Thessalonian church, I treated you as a mother treats an infant. That's what he'd say to the church. I loved you like a mother loves a child. But now to the Corinthian church, which is a rebellious church, I mean, come on, remember remember when you were a kid and your mom would say, okay, I'm telling your father. That was like, The death penalty. There's no more grace. There's no more time out. There's no more, you know, like, hey, stop doing that. Now it's, I'm going to let dad deal with you. Not dad. Not dad. Anything but dad, right? And Paul's going, hey, do you want me to come to you with dad's paddle? do you want me to come to you with love? It's your choice. But stop being arrogant. Stop acting like you know everything. Stop acting like you have no need of teachers. Stop acting like you have all the answers. Stop it. Because I'm coming. I'm coming in God's power, not my own. But I want to come to you in love. I want to come to you in Christ's love. And and so again, these these are the ways we are to imitate. Again, a guy who's a servant, who's a steward, who understands his call, who gets it. To be a fool for Christ. I remember there's a story. If you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's a story. uh, Actually, it's in Jesus, they're both, but it's also in Jesus Freaks, the DC talk of Book of Martyrs. And it's in Korea, North Korea. They've come in, and this one teacher at a school had led so many students to Jesus Christ. And they knew this teacher had done this. So they get him, and they line up all the kids. And they're, they're on the stage and they're soldiers and they beat the crud out of this teacher and they say, okay, we want you to get in front of all your students and we want you to tell them what you said was a fairy tale and a myth and a lie and that you no longer believe in Jesus Christ. And the teacher's like, I'll get up and speak in front of the students. And he's all beat up. So they drag him out there and all the students are there on their knees, with the soldiers right behind them. And they go, if you want to believe like this guy did, this is what's going to happen to you. He has something to say. So the teacher gets up, they give him the mic, and he goes, everything I told you, everything I taught you about Jesus Christ, my example to you, it's all true. Jesus is the Son of God, and he did raise from the dead, and he's coming back to judge the world. Boom! They killed him, bam, right in front of the kids. And they said, do you guys still want to believe what he believed? And the students stood up and said, yeah. They didn't kill all of them, though. But that's the power he had. Foolish to the world, right? He gave up his life. Who would do that? Someone who knows that Jesus conquered death? Someone who knows and believes in the resurrection of the dead? So I, I would encourage you guys today again what is your value system? What's your matrix for leadership? Does it line up with the matrix of the kingdom of God? Bottom up? Or like the world, top down? kingdom of God is bottom up. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. The greatest of you is a servant of all. Do you think that? Let's pray and get ready for communion. Father, as we come before you again, we come to partake at your table. We look at